Hey, welcome to oh. the heavy hole. My name is Tom. Uh, it's Big Will, Uncle Buck. You scared me. You scared me a little bit over there. Don't start like that again. I don't like. I don't like that. Got me all pepped up, actually. No, 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 no. Tom, how was your weekend? Uh, Tom, <laughs> Tom, Tom, how was your Tom, how was your weekend? Oh, it's post Thanksgiving. Yeah, no, I look. I'm, I'm thankful yeah. for my the return of my good friend Justin. Yes. I've been in quarantine. No, Tom, what's going on, Tom? All right, I'm lying. I'll stop. That was a little joke we're doing. Justin, you're, you you shaved you shaved your beard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I shaved the sides of my head. It looks great. We're, thank you. It looks good. It's a good look. We're we're like shorn. It's nice for the ho- freshly shorn for the holidays. Um, <laughs> like sheep. We've trimmed our our heads before the trees. Yeah. No, we're all wearing pants, so we don't know what's going on otherwise. But welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. Thanks, and man. It's great to be here. <laughs> Justin is back. <laughs> what's going on, buddy? Nothing. Yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Listen. So I've been in, I've been in do- double lockdown quarantine uh, for the past few weeks. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. Uh, you got to be safe uh, uh-huh. out there. Um, I had a high fever of ninety nine, uh, which happens to be there. yeah the number of my favorite hockey player of all time. Uh oh. Um, Did you have dance it. fever? <laughs> I, had, I, I had I had a rare. I, it's called a Thursday night fever. It's like Lisa Lisa Colt Jam. Yeah, I I feel like there's definitely some Lisa Lisa and Colt Jam going on somewhere in, in your like uh, your peripheral, outside of the metal and the riffs. I did know? just watch a, a interesting Janet Jackson documentary. Nice, yeah. nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she had some hits. She had some hits. It was more about the wardrobe malfunction. The, oh, the well, that see, that's an area I don't like to celebrate of her career. I don't think it wasn't really a celebration. It, it would have been funny if it was actually just a celebration. Like, look how mad everybody got. Yeah, uh, well, I just but don't it like was to, weird. Don't like to include that in my greatest moments, you know, of JJ. But uh, Miss Jackson, if you're nasty, but Justin, yeah. your return to the show. Mm-hmm. Don't call me a conspiracy theory, theorist, but it, it coincides. It's very, it's very uh, uh, serendipitous. Yeah, timed out with. Uh, the post Thanksgiving season, which is the the wrapping up of the fishing season here <laughs> on Long Island. There's people that there's people that drag it out, yeah. you know, on on the beach at night in a in a parka with a winter hat and some some rubber boots, still trying to catch those those frosty fish. Yes, but um, you know, I know after Thanksgiving, that's like a little bit of a, a metric some people use to to to, to pack it in. So what's what? Yeah. Like first off, that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. I I want yeah. Like you haven't been on the Heavy Hole podcast for a long time now. You took the whole season off in yep. the fall. You're back for the winter. Uh, tell us about the fishing. Go in. You know, hits and misses, man. Hits but and a misses. lot of a lot of learning and a lot of uh, gearing up for next season. It's been wow. really fun. But I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to like give away anything. I'm not going to tell you where I was. All right. Well, you I'm told not going to burn any spots. You told me something behind the scenes yeah. right now. Uh, looking for the old, the old bucks, the old bucktails. Uh, what, mm. And what's and you were you were gauging them based on something you saw. I liked that. It was very metal. The the the, the chomp marks. Yes. Oh. Yeah. The, oh. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I see where it's, I see where you're going now. I'm fucking catching what you're throwing out right now. Yeah. A lot of baseball going on. Yeah. I, well, too. you know, this <laughs> it's. Uh, the colder it gets, the more miserable it is to be out fishing, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so need time to, or activities to do, you know, fishing-related activities to do past the, the winter months. Yes. Uh, so I've decided to go uh, crate digging, if you will, for old uh, lures and plugs. Yes, um, digging in the crates. Finding the ones with the most teeth marks, because that's, that's how you know they work. 
Yeah, somebody bit him. Somebody bit him. Yeah. Now I'm wondering, is there like a salty old fisherman Probably biting his own? At the yeah, like that, like the little thrift store or the 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 flea wherever you're going to flea market to get these old rigs. Yeah. And he yeah, he's just behind the scenes biting them. There to, there are people, and I actually so, yeah. I have tiny seen mouth this. nephews just biting them. Yeah, 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 yeah. He has the dog bite him. You know, he's like this one. I caught a <laughs> caught a large mouth bass in 1997 with this one. It's like he, this dog just bit it. You know, he got it off of eBay. It's well, m- m- not much different than like you know old prospectors. Uh, the way to tell really good lures is you got to bite them like a like a gold coin. Yeah, you know, yeah. see if they're real. Yeah, uh, and I have I've seen some old, some old salty folk uh, out there. Yes, <laughs> tie the tie the tie it to your, them. your trailer hitch, and then actually like hook yourself and see if it can support your weight. Yeah, well, make sure if you catch a fish, you got to be. It's kind of like it's like those guys that lift weights. You know, you want to be able to like lift a fish equal to your own body mass. Right? That's is right. That, is that how it works? That's that's the goal. That's what I always was taught. I don't know. The goal is to get is to get hooked up on a fish that drags you out and drowns you. Yeah. That's the that's the goal. That is. <laughs> yeah. Then you know that was the one. Yeah. That's the fisherman's poem as taught to me by my father. That's right. Uh, Tom. They can't find you now. <laughs> I do have some crates in here. You might want to look for if you're looking for um, kind of indoorsy fishing activity. Yeah. Uh, Bass Fisher Simulator on Nintendo Wii. I think I have that somewhere. <laughs> nice. So uh, if you want to dig, feel free. You know, my my <laughs> back in the eighties, I had the I had the original eight bit Nintendo, and I had the Nintendo Power Gun. What was it called? The gun, and you could play Duck I think Hunt. It was the gun, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it was just the power, yeah, the power. power well, there was the super gun. Well, it was the yeah. power. I don't want to get it confused with the power glove. Yeah, right. All right, but we're gonna have had, to. We got to fact that fact check. Yeah, this, right? yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. we won't be able to listen to like I don't know keyboards and metal anymore. Yeah, make sure our podcast <laughs> remains relevant and may get the right information on that. But yeah, we, my my father, my father went in on duck hunt with the gun. I've been thinking about looking that up and trying to get it for him now. I don't know if his eyesight is as good as the '80s, but he really went in and enjoyed that man. You know, if you just aim those at a light, you win every time. Yeah, <laughs> is that well? That yeah. yeah. That's, so the way it works is when you pull the trigger, it flashes a frame of all black, and where uh, it's a it's an IR camera. Yeah. And there's just a little dot of white. Okay. So the idea is that if it picks up white, you win. Huh. So if you're really really cheap, you just want that yeah. perfect score. Just well, you, shoot at the light. You just put a little you put, oh, you put a little paper up on yeah. the light and paint it like a duck. You yeah. Know? You know. You're still doing your part. Yeah. The kids will laugh. So, uh, so we got confirmation. Okay. The name of the gun, the NES Zapper. Allegedly. Okay. Okay. That's I what like they it. say. Like it. Yeah. All right, yeah. So my dad used to take the Zapper, and he zapped those fucking ducks out of here, boy. Tom, how was your Thanksgiving, though? Full. It was mm. abundant. It was teetering on wasteful. Mm. Oh, yeah. Which, um... Perilously. I love it. That's yeah. the best part about Thanksgiving. Yeah. The, uh, charade. The race to avoid waste. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it was good. It's good. I uh, I don't know, dude. I've been busy. That was the first time I had a drink in a while. So I, I was felt, gonna ask you if it was all right. I felt like How myself the doing? next day. Tom I'm on over. A, Tom on a bender. That's what I said that's why. Ah, it's me, Tom. I'm okay. over. All right. It's the holidays time uh, for a bender. Yeah, but I I don't know, dude. I just like it was a good one. We had all the fams here. That was very nice. Yes. Yes. Uh, that's good. Yeah, well, uh, there, there was a funny thing, and I'm forgetting it now, so let's move on. Okay. Uh, Will, tell me, well, how was your weekend? How was Thanksgiving? Oh, it was nice. Well, you know, last year, 2020, a lot of lonely holidays, 
you know, a lot of, you know, family get-togethers canceled. A lot of people didn't get together last year, 2020. Now 2021, you know, we I found out it actually, it, it, it wasn't the pandemic. It was my, I'm, I'm actually part of the uh, undesirable white trash wing of the family. Oh. For, yeah, yeah. So we, yeah, it's that, that's. That and like now that we move into the future, past the pandemic, we just don't get together on the holidays. So I spent my holiday working on the Heavy Hole podcast and on Death Metal Man, Reeking Aura album, um, uh, nearing completion. Man, those guys are working out great. Afterbirth, I feel kind of like Gordon Gecko of Death Metal in a way, man. Behind the scenes, man, I have a, a one foot tall cell phone like from the eighties. Yes, yeah, and I was at Boston Market by myself. Um, speaking on one of those, it didn't work. You can't. I don't know if that you could get one of those to work. I can't in Huntington mm. Station, T-Mobile. Those but, who need to hear you get. Yeah, get I was the reception. at a Boston Market in Long Island at, by myself, pretending to speak with people in the death metal community on an old '80s cell phone. They they didn't call the police on me. Thankfully enough, shout to Boston Market. It's staff. very strange because. Um, you know, all the, the bit about the white trash part of the family. My cousin Mike, I didn't invite him to Thanksgiving. And he also <laughs> spent his day in a Boston market. <laughs> so, kindred spirits. Uh, yeah, wow. man. There's wow. just a certain breed of Long Islander you don't want to break bread with on Thanksgiving for the holidays. But listen, enough about me. Um, unreal. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mentioned... <laughs> Justin, it's so good to have you back for the holidays, I, man. I should have called you. Listen, I like I was told that I was uh, everybody in the family. The Thanksgiving I went to everybody had to make a dish, right? Mm. I was assigned mac and cheese, and I was like, oh, "That's nice." How many people are coming? How much mac and cheese am I going to make? Okay, for twelve people. Oh my god! Wow. Mm-hmm. So I go buy pounds of pasta, available macaron. Right. I buy pounds of cheese. I'm going to make the own, my own sauce. I'm melting. Boar's Head American cheese, which you know okay. still can melt like like a Velveeta American, higher quality, yeah. more cheddar content because it's the Boar's Head. Mm. A little more yellow. We're gonna do it. I make two giant dishes, mac and cheese. Put it on the Traeger grill with the breadcrumbs. Oh, a little butter on top. Very cool. Nice baked for uh, for an hour and five minutes. I baked it, crispy golden on the top. The edges were mm-hmm. mm. I show up to Thanksgiving. There's seven people. Now, there's a large tray of mac and cheese in my fridge, and I should have brought it. Um, That's not... Yeah, I'm like, where's the problem? Where's the, where's the issue at? It's yep. more mac and cheese, right? Just want to share. Did I you, just yeah. want to share with everyone I love, <laughs> my right. friends, except my cousin Mike. Did you like that story? <laughs> I, well, I, it was actually... It was a great story because it had a happy ending. Like, I wasn't sure where it was going, and it ends up with you have like having, like, bonus mac and cheese for the week. You want to dish a little bit out, yeah. you know, with a sandwich for lunch. Maybe you want to take a little bit to work while well, you work from home. But I, you know, you know what I'm saying. Like this wanna... is the essence of the holidays. Yeah. Get together with your friends, and and you learn that the problems you have, they're not that big a problem. They're not I'm, even real. I'm picturing you and your fiance, like packing up a little bit of bonus mac and cheese in a nice basket, and whisking away on a on a sleigh and like a like a Condre Hall. <laughs> Like 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 whisking down the hill while eating warm mac and cheese with with uh, Norman Rockwell esque smiles on your faces. I looks like this is the holiday season. I love podcast. I love that too. I hope to be that. I hope to be that one. All right, and you know what you're gonna and like in the background, there's like a dog running and some little kids. And and what's that? What's that little? There's a little dark. 
blurb in the it's Big Will, and he's and he's got he's got a heavy whole podcast logo scarf, and he's on his Segway because <laughs> tonight's guest is just like that mac and cheese because it's Dan Gates of fully consumed. Also of the classic legacy brutal death metal band, Ton from Ohio. See, I got you guys. And currently of his band, Mutual Hostility. We're going to break it all down for you. Uh, spin that segue back and get him on the phone, please, sir. Ton of mac and cheese. Yeah. Dan Gates. from Heavy Hole Podcast, and I'm here with tonight's special guest, none other than Dan Gates, guitarist from Ohio-based bands, uh, Mutual Hostility, Fully Consumed, and Ton. Did I get that right, sir? Yes, you did. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks for joining us. Yep, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to talk to you. Uh, and Dan, you know, I want to get to, just like I mentioned, um, your different bands uh, and what you got going on currently, and of course your YouTube channel where you talk about guitars and gear and that sort of thing. Uh, but you've heard the show before. You know where I'm going. Are you from a particularly musical family, or was there anyone in your background maybe that steered you towards hard rock and heavy metal and guitar as a youngster? Not really. Um, nobody really played an instrument. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my uncle had a guitar that he showed me one time, but I don't ever remember him playing it or anything, but I just remember thinking it was really cool. And um, growing up, you know, we would listen to music around the house and stuff, but um, no real musicians in the family. Okay, and um, so, so then then my next question would be, what comes first, an interest in, in rock and roll and, and hard rock um, or uh, guitar or actually playing an instrument of some sort? Well, when I was a kid, you know, I'd listen to music. I liked uh, music. I was a fan. I never really thought about playing an instrument until I was in high school and I was in high school in the 80s and all the 80s thrash metal was out there and I discovered that and that pretty much led to me wanting to play guitar. Um, Metallica became my favorite band. I was listening to all the 80s thrash though, you know, Testament and Dark Angel and just, I mean, the list goes on and on. But when I discovered Metallica, um, that the interest in playing guitar started. Um, I just, I love the music and a friend of mine in high school, actually two friends of mine had guitars and the one let me strap the guitar on and I didn't know what to do with it, but I hit the strings and I was like, man, I got to have one of these. Hmm. And so I had another friend selling a guitar for like 150 bucks and so I bought it, and uh, I just couldn't put it down. I loved it. I just wanted to play Seek and Destroy, basically. <laughs> Do you still have that guitar? I don't. Um, you know, I wish I did. It was nothing special. Um, it was just a cheap guitar, like a Strat copy, but um, but it would still be cool to have it. Of course, man. Um, and uh, another typical question then to follow up that one 
Uh, did you did you get lessons or were you um, uh, self taught or, or something uh, in between? Well, probably um, I don't know. Sometime within the first year of having the guitar, I took about a month's worth of lessons. So you know, about four lessons, and it ju- it just wasn't for me. Um, you know, I heard that the guy was a really good teacher and a good guitar player and stuff. So it was nothing to do with him. It was just that. I just wanted to play Metallica riffs. I didn't want to go in and I didn't want to learn scales and I didn't want to learn any theory or anything like that. I just wanted to play thrash metal. And so that's pretty much what I did. You know, I would um, get different guitar magazines and I ended up buying the tablature books for all the Metallica albums at the time. Hmm. And um, I would just learn riffs. And I, I never really learned full songs at that point in time. But um, that's basically how I learned to play guitar is by sitting in my parents' basement playing Metallica riffs. All right, and and at well, I'll, I'll I'll say this way: at what point do you are the musicians who you would end up forming ton with uh, the first kind of group of musicians you end up working with? Because it seems like there's a a long-standing tradition of working with at, at least one or two of those guys for a very long time? Or was there a band that predates Ton and those guys? No, not really. Um, I met Jeff, who plays played bass and did vocals in Ton and also plays guitar in Fully Consumed. Um, I met him, oh, it must have been like 90, maybe 91 at the latest. And I had never even considered being in a band i didn't think i was good enough to be in a band but he had been in some bands um he lived in texas when he was in high school and he had been in some bands there and so he really wanted to be in a band and so as he and i kind of jammed together and i was learning things from him and um i knew a guy that played drums and so i said well hey let me call my friend jason and maybe he'll want to jam out maybe we can do something and so, so we did that for a little while. Um, Jason was, um, he, he wasn't, didn't really seem to have much of an interest to be in a serious band. So it was kind of just casual jamming. I mean, you know, we played some songs, like we played a Slayer song and made an attempt at a Sanctuary song. And we did start to write some of our own material too, but um, it just kind of fizzled out over time. And so Jeff ended up joining another band and then in the meantime, um, Kevin, the drummer in Ton, we actually went to high school together, but we were two years apart. He was two years younger than me. And our um, our high school was split up into two different campuses. So the freshmen and sophomore were in one campus and the uh, juniors and seniors were in another campus. So we, I didn't really interact with him in high school, but we did know each other. And his dad was my football coach when I was a kid. And so um, I had bumped into him and he had said, you know, asked me if I was interested in jamming. And at the time we were still playing with Jason. And so I kind of was like, ah, no, you know, we're playing with Jason. And then when that fizzled out, um, I ended up talking to Kevin and we got together and Kevin had been jamming with some other guys in this old schoolhouse. And um, this guy had bought this old schoolhouse and he lived in it and he rented out classrooms to bands to practice in. And so he had this room, and I think whatever band situation he was in had fizzled out, but he held on to the room. And so um, Jeff and I started going down there and jamming with him, and that was basically the start of time. And within probably, I don't know, a couple months or so, our friend Paul, Paul Bennett, he joined the band. 
Um, and uh, that's that's how it all started. Uh, okay, and and before we get too much further ahead, you guys are um, uh, when we're talking about you guys all in, in high school and being younger, starting the band. You're from Ohio, uh, I know, right? Yes. What? What? Well, could you describe what part of Ohio? And just for us and the listeners who aren't from the region, if it's more of a rural or a more of an urban environment, and if it was an area where uh, touring metal bands would come through and you had record stores and more access, or no? Well, we're about an hour south of Cleveland. Um, so during that time period, you know, other than like local cover bands, there wasn't much happening here. But I was always traveling to Cleveland for shows. Um, that's where all the bands came through. And so that was, you know, that was just normal to me to have to drive an hour up to Cleveland, which isn't that big of a deal to go to shows. Um, the town that I'm from is called Canton. And if you're a football fan, it's the home of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's kind of what we're famous for, <laughs> about the only thing. But it's it's kind of a small town, small city. Um, it's, it doesn't take long to get into a rural area. Um, so... So, yeah, I mean, that's where Kevin and I are from, where we were born and raised. Um, Jeff had lived all over the place because his dad, uh, his dad's job took him all over the country and all over the world. So, um, so yeah, that was that's pretty much it. So growing up in an area like that, um, was there did you ever feel um, or notice there was any like like kind of like a jocks versus stoners or jocks versus metalheads type of pressure uh, was it was it more of an athletic um, football culture than than normal? And you know, was there maybe any of a pushback against heavy metal culture or just subculture in general? I didn't really notice it against heavy metal too much, but yeah, I mean, football in this area is huge. I mean, high school football, everything. I mean, you know, the football hall of fame's here, so it's uh, yeah, football is is big. But um, when I was in high school, I was a skateboarder. Before I started playing guitar, skateboarding was my thing. And that's where the, the jock thing came in. Because, I don't know, for some reason it was cool for jocks to not like the skaters and maybe sometimes pick on the skaters. But um, I never I never really faced anything like that as far as metal. I mean, you know, maybe the occasional douchebag says something about my long hair or something in a bar later on when I'm a little older, you know, but, you know, that's about it. Okay, just uh, curious. Um, and so now getting more more into ton, you guys eventually with that lineup you described, which is, if I got it right, Jeff Shepler, um, who, who you said uh, played bass um, uh, then but also plays guitar in uh, Fully Consumed later on, Kevin Kraft on drums and Paul Bennett on guitar. Yep. Um, you guys eventually, you, I noticed you, I'm of course, I'm an underground death metal guy. I'm of a certain age. I'm familiar with the point of view and the blind follower demos, um, that, that were around quite heavily back in the day. I didn't realize though, the two demos that predate those, what is heavy and crushing design. I'm not familiar with those. And, um, those weren't as, uh, heavily promoted, I, I guess I would say, or reissued. Was there a period where Ton was trying to find their sound? Would you describe that as, as that? I would describe it as exactly that. Um, the What is Heavy demo, we actually had, um, we, we sent off the uh, like the master DAT tapes and had them converted into WAV files so we could actually have them digitally on our computer. And um, it was really, 
interesting hearing that stuff after not hearing it for so many years because i just i had on a cassette but i just didn't have a cassette player forever and so when that came back it was just it kind of blew my mind because it was not death metal it was us trying to play some heavy music and just figure out what we were doing but it was all it was really cool to hear it because i was like wow it's just you know even though it wasn't death metal and it probably wouldn't be real impressive to other people it to me it was like we were we were really just finding our sound figuring out what we wanted to do and it was after we had recorded that demo or maybe right about the same time is when some friends of ours introduced us to death metal so we literally went from this four song demo that was not death metal i mean maybe it might have had a few elements of it but um to crushing design which i do would say is is death metal and those you know those demos we just we just double ourselves we would cut out the inlays ourselves you know just buy a bunch of tapes record them double ourselves and just pass them out and and that was the time too that um i got introduced to the death metal underground and i was kind of blown away by that because i was like whoa what do you mean there's like this whole thing where like there's this network of people that that interact and share things and trade and it it kind of it was it was wild to me and i was i was all in on it um i don't know if you're familiar with a band called drug out of ohio yeah i was actually going to ask because i know that there's maybe something of a connection between um some of your work and, and and their band yeah and buddy mitchell the guitar player he was involved in the underground scene and he's the one that introduced me to that he gave me a bunch of flyers he's like here you know just just write to some of these people and when you write include these flyers from these other bands and make up some band or some flyers for your own band and include those and that's just how the whole thing works so that's that's what i did i just started writing letters and to me at the time like getting letters back was really exciting so i was like holy shit man i'm you know i'm connecting with these people all over the world that are into this music that is fairly new to me you know death metal i mean i've been listening to thrash metal forever but it, it was really cool to me to ha- you know get involved in that network and be able to get those demos out there and um especially because we were you know we were progressing into a, a death metal sound so i felt like we could fit in a little better with that what is heavy demo i was a little it was a little weird because i i didn't feel like it was as heavy or as good as some of the other bands out there and so we, we kind of wanted to move past that pretty quickly and because we were progressing quickly and we were all really dedicated to you know getting this band going and trying to be heavier and you know we were figuring out what death metal was okay there uh, there, well there's a lot there um uh just into i guess what goes what was going into um uh ton and you 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 brought up drug hater um right off the bat that was something i was gonna bring up um because i you know i noticed uh doing the research that there was a little bit of um spillover between uh uh um drug i believe maybe your, your drummer kevin uh at, at one point played for drug hater if i'm not mistaken and i know some some members were in riphead who did a split and that sort of thing um the guys in drug hater were also i i don't know specifically who but i, I know they were involved with extremist records at the time and yep. they were they were releasing a lot of their own material. It's funny because I'm all the way on here in Long Island, but um, they played a role in in the very first underground stuff I got into as well. 
Um, I got their split tape with Dismembered Fetus from Drug Hater and um, oh, okay. I, th- I think uh, an Extremist Records compilation or something very early on, and that, that put me onto some stuff. Could you speak to that connection a little bit? Because Drug Hater is a very original kind of band, in my, in my opinion, um, and, and especially then when you think of regionally of, of Ohio for the time period, a lot of people might think of kind of more um, blood and guts, old school, brutal death metal but it seems like Drog Hater and even Ton were doing something maybe a little bit more with social political commentary and a little bit more grindcore influence. Is that fair to say? And would you say that that was like a, an intended influence or something you could explain as an influence? Yeah. Um, let's see. I can't remember exactly. I think we met um, Arnie Arginio first. He was at one point in Drog Hita, introduced us to Dan Dan Haynes and Buddy Mitchell, who were in Drogheda, and um, yeah, they lived. They were close to our area. They weren't in the same town, but not not too far away. And I guess I never really thought about it, but yeah, um, our lyrics. Some of Jeff wrote the lyrics, but um, some of the lyrics did kind of um, revolve around what was happening at the time, what we were seeing in the news. Um, maybe some of it a little political nothing nothing too crazy but um more just what was happening and we were noticing in the world and yeah drug heat i guess did the same sort of thing um i would say they were definitely on the more grindcore side of things and you know in our early days you know our drummer had never even played a blast beat kevin so you know that was something we were figuring out as we went and we were incorporating more of that um as time went on and and you're right. Kevin did play with Drogheda for a little while, maybe a I don't know, maybe it was a year or two. I'm not even sure. And um, they shared our practice spot, so we would hang out and see those guys all the time. And they ended up playing one of the uh, one of the very early Maryland Death Fests too. And I went out there with them for that. And then uh, yeah, I guess. Sorry, I forgot part of the question, but I... <laughs> well, no, I, that's I just um, I knew there was a connection, and it's you know to, to know that that it was actually a very close connection like that, where at one point you were sharing space. It just kind of makes a little bit of sense in in light of the bands and some of the um, uh, some of the parallel themes that that I, that I see. And you also said something right there that I, I kind of noticed. You said that your drummer Kevin, when you first started the band, he was still learning, I guess, how to how to play. Um, what at that point was the more innovative death metal styles, the blast beats and, and, and that sort of thing. You know, back then it was, um, people might think now like a blast beat is a blast beat, but back then it was a little different. A lot of drummers, I've heard, my, you know, I'm in a band called Afterbirth that started out back then, and the drummer yeah. also kind of learned how to do a blast beat, you know, as he was learning the songs. Um, that's, that, yeah, that, that's, um, that's part of it. We, we kind of introduced Kevin to the blast beat because, you know, we were discovering death metal and we knew that was a part of it. And we wanted to make that a part of our music to kind of get to that extreme sound. And so, you know, he worked on, you know, hitting the snare fast enough. And at the time he he wasn't doing the double bass. He was just kind of doing the, you know, the, the with the snare and then the dun, dun, dun with the kick drum, you know, just like single kicks and then. Then it progressed from there, but it was it was definitely a learning process for for all of us. Now that that's interesting to hear because a question that I had prepared and something that I've always noticed as a listener of Ton um, on the point of view and blind follower demo 
it it seems like there's a little bit more of a pronounced groove and brutal death metal influence. Something I was going to ask if it, if you would attribute maybe to New York influences like Suffocation and Pyrexia and Internal Bleeding. Um, and then on the Plague album in 99, I noticed, I believe Paul Bennett had left before that album. So I was going to ask if Paul Bennett might have been something of a groove and brutal influence in the writing and why those demos have a little bit more groove. But maybe it's because your drummer actually was was less inclined to play fast blast beats. Maybe could you speak to that? Yeah. Um, yes, we were definitely influenced by the New York scene. And yes, Paul did kind of like those uh, slammier guitar riffs and stuff. Um, but yeah, we had um, we had connected with Internal Bleeding pretty early on. And, you know, we were kind of blown away by them and Suffocation and you know obviously pyrexia too later dehumanized but mm-hmm. um our first out of show out of state show ever was internal bleeding put on a show at the roxy on long island and there was like i don't know 10 or 12 bands that day and um jeff had booked a show for them in ohio so they paid us back by bringing us out there and it was it was one of those situations where we went out and i don't even think our crushing design demo was out yet i think we had recorded it maybe but we didn't have it out yet so we were still on that what is heavy thing that was really not death metal and so when we went out there we were just i was kind of scared i was just like oh man i don't even know if we deserve to be here i don't know if we're gonna fit in i don't know how this is gonna go over and um luckily it all worked out we had a great time and those guys were so cool for bringing us out and um they played oppressor played um, infestation played. I think disgorged played. That, that's you know, it, it's funny because I've not that I was old enough to be there, but I think I've heard somebody talk about this fest over the weekend. Like I mentioned, I, I'm I'm not an original member, but I'm in the band Afterbirth from mm-hmm. Long Island, who I think yeah. they might have been on that, and I heard them talking over the past weekend about that fest. Uh, yeah, disgorged from upstate, and um, all the maybe Mortal Decay probably was at that show. Yeah, I can't remember if they played or not. Um, and I want to say maybe, I think Tyrant Trooper played, which I heard somebody wow. talking. Uh, I was listening to one of your podcasts today, and um, it was the drummer from Vomit Forth. Yes. And he was talking about um, Tyrant Trooper, and I was like, oh, man, I remember those guys. I had the shirt, and they were a cool band. <laughs> well, it's, I, the crazy part is the guitarist of his band is the guitarist of Tyrant Trooper's son. If I got yeah, if I got that I mean. right, there's definitely a family. If I, I yeah I I, I don't want to hundred percent without my notes in front of me, but it's definitely something like that. It's it's definitely um, yeah yeah very very cool man yeah and uh, yeah Tyrant Trooper really cool kind of deep cut um, yep. for those for the for the the Northeast death metal bands. All right man, so well th- that's that's really cool to know because um, uh, like I was saying that those two demos there seemed to be a little bit more of a groove influence. And then you guys actually did, and I should mention also just for the listeners, those two demos are very iconic for like 90s brutal death metal heads. Um, They were reissued uh, by Pathos Productions in the 90s and by Fresh Blood Management in 2013, so people could take a look uh, out there. Um, Dan, I've seen your bit. You have a very well-curated band camp for Ton and for your other projects. Can people order this merchandise on there? Yes. I, the ton band camp should be up to date with everything we have um we are no longer active but i'm keeping that up there just for anybody that might be interested we do still have cds um we do have the 
Oh, let me think. We do have the blind follower point of view. We have plague. We have the new. We have the um, bow down to extinction. The 2015 release and the newest release, Ashes Where They Stood. We have all that stuff available on there. We also have some shirts. I think might we have logo shirts, and then we have a design that um, Ungodly Ruins Productions did for us, also. So all that stuff is up up there and available. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Um, uh, just as we go through for the listeners, and actually, that actually brings me to a, a kind of a, a random question, but one I wanted to throw in there, just, <clears throat> I, I gotta say, doing the research today, this was one of the easiest research days I've ever had for a guest, and it was because of your YouTube channel, where you've, <laughs> like, very, organ- in a very organized fashion, laid out, like, almost all of the releases that you've ever performed on, if, if not all of them, and... Um, uh, a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff dealing with gear and, and it, it was really easy uh, so people can go check out your Dan Gates Guitar YouTube channel and that leads me to the question is there anything in your upbringing your background maybe some sort of training I don't know um, uh, a family thing where you were taught to be thorough and organized and have a no corners cut approach to your music and, and the way you present it and curate it that's kind of a funny question because I love organization, but I'm horrible at it hmm. in my day-to-day life. Um, but when it comes to my music, it's uh, it's you know it's just something I love. I love playing guitar. I love metal. When I got into playing guitar, it wasn't because I wanted to be some great musician. It was because I wanted to play metal. Hmm. And so, you know, making those videos, I do it just because it's fun. I like to do the gear stuff because people love that i don't want my youtube channel to be just all gear you know there's a lot of guys out there doing that where you know they have a new amp or new pedal every other day and that's that's cool but that's not really what i want to do i want to do a little bit of that and i just want to showcase my guitar playing and whatever bands i'm in at the time or have been in and just uh make that stuff available but making the videos i really like doing that and i've had a lot of positive feedback which is really motivated me to keep going forward with it yeah and and i i want to i want to get into a few specifics about that um uh later on but i i, I do want to continue the narrative as we as we get okay. past the, the the early days of ton yeah. um and you've you've really you've really kind of like uh i, I guess kind of cleared up a little bit of the mystery that you know the questions i've had about the sound and because ton always stood out to me um, especially, you know, back in, in the, you know, the, the mid nineties, it wasn't as prevalent to have, um, you know, like you said, bands with a little, maybe a little bit more of that New York influence at the time we would say New York influence, yeah. um, that chunky groove in the, in the band and sort of thing. And, yep. and you guys fit right into, um, the United guttural, uh, scene, which we've referenced time after time on this podcast. We recently had Steve Murray from Flesh. I listened on. to it. Yep. Yeah. That, that's actually how you and I connected. And, no, that's and, right. That's and, right. Um, uh, so getting into that, I you know we, we've taught we've set it up for the listeners if they if they're familiar with the show how in the late '90s death metal becomes a little bit less popular commercially, but that kind of drives the underground into being this really diehard brutal thing where you have labels like United United Guttural Records popping up, and um, did they actually put out Plague the year of the Milwaukee Metal Fest or was that was that '99? I think it came out at like a very prominent Milwaukee Metal Fest year. It did. Um, yeah, it was 1999, and that year we were actually not even supposed to play the Milwaukee Metal Fest. I believe it was Devourment that was booked, that Rich from United Guttural, I think he had booked them on there, and they had to cancel for some reason. And so he called me and asked if we wanted to play, 
And he's like, I'll have your CDs at the, the Milwaukee Metal Fest. And we were like, fuck yeah. We, you know, we had played once before in 95. And so, yeah, we definitely wanted to do that. And so we went out and got our CDs and we got to play. And <laughs> kind of a funny story, though, about that is nobody knew we were there. And so, you know, we're walking around. It was at the, like, at the convention center up there. It wasn't at the Eagles ballroom in the rave like it had been in the past. And so we're walking around and we're seeing, like, the listing of all the bands. And everywhere it said Devourment, we're, like, crossing off Devourment and putting time. <laughs> and, um, and the funny thing, well, not so funny at the time, I guess, is that uh, we played the same stage as Flesh Grind. And so apparently Devourment was scheduled to play after Flesh Grind. So Flesh Grind gets up there, the room's packed. They just fucking destroyed it, man. And so they get done playing and we're trying to hurry up and get our gear up there and get ready to go as there's like a mass exodus out of the room. <laughs> so, you know, this packed room, you know, went down to a handful of people and we were just kind of like, ah, shit. But, you know, we still gave it our all. <laughs> Yeah, oh man, most, most I think most bands have, that have played significantly out there have, have had a few shows like that, man. I, that's yeah. that's happened to a few of my bands where it'll be like the, uh, the the band that plays before you brought out a lot of their friends and and their girlfriends and everybody, and then everybody goes home because they're not really into the music; they just wanted to support that band, you know. Yeah, definitely seen that over the years. Yeah, well, um, but but still though, you guys you guys were there at a very interesting point in time. Um, any recollections on uh, just watching the the death metal scene change like that? Would you say that my assessment is accurate to your recollection that death metal got much less popular in a commercial sense, but it seemed to become more of a diehard thing, and it seemed to become much more brutal in terms of aesthetics and lyrics and sound in the late 90s? Yeah, I would totally agree with that. I mean, I remember a point in time where there was a blockbuster music store in my hometown and we walked in there and this, you know, I'm not sure exactly what year it was, but it was probably, man, I'm guessing like, I don't know, late nineties, but we, we walk in there and I mean, they had everything all, you know, Roadrunner had all those death metal bands and I mean, they had everything. There was so much death metal in there. And then just in, you know, a short time after that, you, couldn't hardly find any of that stuff you know there might have been a camelot music back back then that carried some of it but um yeah it definitely went down um as far as popularity but yeah it definitely drove the underground too because i mean like me you know there was a lot of people out there that were they were they were just into it and that, that's how i was you know i wasn't gonna get out of the scene because other people didn't think it was cool anymore or you know it just wasn't a cool form of music to some people it was what i loved and i was i was all in so yeah we were we were gonna keep trudging forward mm. yeah and um united guttural records is a good example of that mindset and you know we we already set it up um we kind of dissected it to the point where we under we understand that your drummer is, is developing as a death metal drummer um in real time with ton uh your your um one guitarist paul bennett uh parts ways with the bands at some point between blind follower and plague um yep. so the I, I guess the third i would ask if the third element towards the sound on plague and the sound you guys display for the rest of ton's career um which is a little bit more technical and a little bit faster paced uh, is that i guess you could attribute that maybe to your nat your guys natural progression as musicians 
Because, you know, you say you, you, there was never really a band before Ton. You guys learned a lot about music and performing death metal itself as a genre as Ton was progressing with the demos. So I guess the, the sound on Plague is just you guys naturally evolving as musicians together, right? Yeah, and um, we were just getting better at our instruments, and we were just we just wanted to be extreme. We just, you know, we'd hear, heard like Cryptopsy and... You know, we were like heading that direction where we're like, we want, we want to play some crazy shit. You know, we want, we don't want to do the typical, jun, 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 you know, I mean, yeah, that's cool. And we did do some of that. And I love that stuff, but we didn't want to just do that because there were so many bands doing that. We wanted to progress as musicians be able to play some more technical stuff and and on the plague album we, we probably went a little overboard with that in some spots where some of the songs you know it's just like riff after riff after after riff and we could have probably you know done a little better with the song structure on some of those songs but at the same time it's just that's just where we were at the time and um we were just really trying to push ourselves and um just trying to gain interest in the band and trying to be extreme Okay, and and for you know, you talk about um, where you were at the time. Could you speak to you know? We talked a little bit about the the New York influence and and that sort of thing with maybe some of the earlier stuff. Um, could you just speak to maybe what what was some of your like game change? You, you talked about Cryptopsy, obviously, um, and you know we've had I believe it was when we had um, uh, Jeff from Blood of Christ on the show. He talked about how when they heard Cryptopsy for the first time, yep. they, they thought Cannibal Corpse and every other band was just was going to be just as fast when they came out, and you know, in, <laughs> yeah. in, in competition to keep up. So they, you know, Cryptopsy really changed the game. I, you know, something I had to think about when listening to uh, later um, or or the the ton albums. I'll just say, um, Gore Guts popped into my head. I don't know that that would be a big influence on you, but could you just speak to maybe some of those more dissonant and technical influences that could have popped in there? Well, Gorguts, The Erosion of Sanity is one of my all-time favorite albums. Um, obviously, I love uh, Considered Dead, and you know, I even I even like some of their newer stuff. Not as much as the older stuff, but um, yeah, that was I, I loved it. And I've heard that before. Where at the time I wasn't consciously trying to write anything that sounded like Gorguts, but I had heard a couple people over the years say that they thought that certain elements of Jeff's voice kind of reminded them of that mm, yeah. um, on, I believe on Plague so you know I don't know if that's where that comes from but but yeah um, yeah and the New York bands definitely influenced us because those bands were gaining popularity and we, we were friends with Internal Bleeding they came through this area and we hung out with them played with them in New York and actually the first time I ever heard Cryptopsy was when we went to New York for that that fest that I was talking about earlier, and we were I don't know if we were might have been at Anthony Miola's house, the former guitar player from Internal Bleeding. I can't remember whose house we were at, but they put that on, and everybody was just like, "Whoa, man!" Everybody's like blown away. I think it was like the first time that several people had heard that that were there, and so yeah, when they came out, they definitely uh, you know got people's attention. Yeah. Yeah, of course, man. Um, and, and it did change the way a lot of bands lo uh, looked at what they were doing. So, yeah. So, so Plague comes out on United Guttural Records in 99. At what point does Ton become inactive for, um, it, it, it looks like for about 15 years at least, between the two, between the Plague and then Bow Down to Extinction. Is that correct? 
Yes, um, we split up very early in 2001. So, um, yeah, we did a lot of shows, out-of-state shows and stuff through 99, early 2000. We were doing some shows in New York back then. And then, um, yeah, early 2001, we called it quits. And um, Jeff went on to form Fully Consumed within a couple years or a few years or something like that. And Kevin and I continued playing together after that. And up clear up until like a year and a half ago. Hmm. So, so the whole time that Ton was inactive, or I'll just say the time between Plague um, and Bow Down to Extinction, you were you were still jamming with Kevin Craft uh, on drums. Yes, we had several band situations. Um, you brought up Riphead earlier. We did that for a while. Okay. Um, that started out with uh, just a three piece with me playing guitar and doing vocals. Then we ended up uh, bringing a vocalist in and he didn't work out. So then we got another vocalist. And so, yeah, we, I'm not sure how many years that went on for, but we did that for a while. And then um, when that ended, we had another band called one enemy, which was a really short lived band, which is some other friends we knew. Um, Brian Bertram came in to play guitar. Also, he, he was in a band called from the depths for a while. It was out of Cleveland and then um yeah he he ended up moving to north carolina so then you know that was the end of that then kevin and i formed another band called national collapse which we we did that for quite a while played some shows and um, never really i mean we had we recorded some songs but never really had like an official release i mean i, I think that was going into the you know about the my space time mm -hmm. and so we were putting stuff up on there but yeah and then you know many years later we reformed a ton but yeah kevin and i stayed together the whole time okay and, and if i got it right it seems like maybe you joined you mentioned jeff shepler forms fully consumed uh in the early 2000s who put out many releases uh, several releases i should say before you pop up in 2014 on their album incendium um, yep. So I get. Does, is it right to infer that you joined Fully Consumed, and then at some point afterwards, you guys reformed a ton? Yeah, um, Kevin and I were struggling with uh, finding a bass player, and you know we were still jamming, we were still writing music, we never stopped. I mean, practicing consistently on a weekly basis, just constantly writing music. But it had been quite a while since we were able to play out or anything so we didn't have a bass player then kevin got hurt at work and, and broke his ankle and had to have surgery on his ankle and so he was going to be down for a while and about that time i was i was hanging out with jeff and the guys from fully consumed and um we were just kind of it was kind of in the back of my mind like I, you know i wonder if i could join this band or if you know they'd be open to that or if it would be a good thing for me to do or not and then we were hanging out one night and we were i forget what we were listening to but there was like a cool guitar harmony and i think it was matt the drummer said man we, we need another guitar player and i just right i was like oh this is my opportunity i was like well i happen to know one <laughs> and he was like what you i was like yeah and they were like fuck yeah let's do it so you know, I, I had told Kevin, I, I wasn't bailing out on Kevin. I, I continued to play with him. And actually, Jeff was playing bass with us in that band, National Collapse. Just, you know, just kind of helping us out, basically. So Kevin was healing. 
I was learning fully consumed songs. And I think the fact that I joined fully consumed actually really even motivated Kevin more because to, to just try and get better because he was coming to practice. We were still practicing with national collapse and um, he was coming to practice on crutches and then getting behind the drum set and playing double bass with his wow with like plates and screws in his ankle i mean it was unbelievable wow. the dude could hardly walk and you know i mean of course he was having a rough time with the double bass but i mean the fact that he was even behind the drum set playing double bass with an ankle that he could barely walk on we were just like, holy shit, dude <laughs> and so yeah i joined up the fully consumed guys and i had a great time playing with them i was with them for about three years and then the drummer matt moved to washington state so that kind of brought that to an end but by that time we already had ton reformed so we just went full force with that and you know we put out an album in 2015 went out to vegas did actually did the cd release at the las vegas death fest Brian from Ossuary Industries pressed our CDs, had them waiting for us when we got to Vegas. And it was, we, I didn't think we'd ever release anything again. I, I didn't think we'd ever reform, let alone release anything. So for us to show up in Vegas and have him hand us our CDs and we're about to play the biggest show of our lives was. It, it was almost unbelievable to us it was it was amazing it was you know i'm really thankful that he did that for us and um michael gordon gave us a great time slot and at that point it was the best show we'd ever played it was a fucking blast yeah it's it's um it's it's you guys you guys were definitely a little bit early on it but it's like this big resurgence uh nowadays of death metal there's a lot of artists coming back and having the the audience um that maybe they didn't have the first time around, man. Um, yeah. Uh, with with Bow Down to Extinction, could you tell us a little bit? Like, sometimes we hear from artists that they that a later album was actually material that was recorded. Like, was any of that material left over from the late 90s? Was it all brand new stuff? Um, and did you go back and listen to older ton material from the 90s and, and consciously think, let's change that, let's avoid this, let's try to do more of that, anything of that, of that type of nature? Um, there was a little bit of that. Um, we did not go back and listen to it and, and like try and model anything. You know, it was just none of the material was left over. It was all new material. Um, I guess the main reason we went back to listen to some of the old stuff was because we we didn't have any of the songs like like written down or anything. So we had to figure out some of the old songs to be able to play them live again. But when it came to writing "Bow Down to Extinction," it was it was all new material. And I guess, if, if anything, I would say that with that album, we didn't want to do a plague number two where we're just like riff after riff after riff. We wanted to have a little more structure. You know, we still wanted to play some crazy riffs and go fast and, you know, get technical and stuff like that. But um, we, we did want a little more structure. We wanted, you know, more like a song where people can listen to it a little easier then some of those old songs were, you know, the riffs just keep coming and there's nothing repeating. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of hard for people to follow sometimes. Okay. And, and with with that being said, coming back in 2015, I mean, I know you had been playing with Fully Consumed. You, you had other bands and, and things like that. But 
Um, do you want to comment just on any, was there like any difference? Um, you know, I, it's like I said, obviously it's not like you had been cold out of the scene for 15 years, but, um, just applying the band ton again, after all that time, you want to talk about what difference maybe social media might've made or, um, the, the flavor of the scene. We were just getting into this OSDM resurgence at that point. I don't know what, what was different about it to you? Well, there there was a point in time where I found some old ton shirts and I, you know, they, we had made them back in the nineties and I just put them on the internet. Like, Hey, you know, is anybody interested in these? And, you know, so I ended up selling them and, you know, kind of people were like, yeah, man, I remember ton. And, you know, just, just some positive words that were kind of fueling the fire. And then when, um, happy Yulianto from fresh blood management and, Indonesia wanted to uh, repress the uh, blind follower point of view demos on CD. It, you know that was kind of fuel too because it was you know you just people start talking about it again. And um, you know I was playing in fully consumed with Jeff, and he had been playing in National Claps, playing bass with us. So we were we were all kind of interacting again. And there was a point in time where, um, you know, we were practicing over at Kevin's house, the, uh, the drummer Kevin, and one of the guitar players we were playing with in National Claps, he just kind of quit coming around and showing up, and we were kind of getting the vibe that maybe it just wasn't happening anymore. And so, so there's Kevin, Jeff, and Dan standing in the basement, and we're like, well, <laughs> there's only it only makes sense to do one thing, you know. And so we're like, fuck yeah, man, let's do it. Let's just let's just go for it. Let's just bring it back, and. Um, yeah, with social media, it's, it's easier to connect with people. And so, you know, once you put it out there, and it, it's, it's kind of surprising that a band like us that, you know, we never had any, like, major, um, I don't know if I want to say success or, like, popularity, you know. It's just we were just, like, an underground band that some people happened to know. And some of those people just still happen to remember us. And so, yeah, through social media, you know, people were just giving us positive feedback and saying they were excited to hear we were back and so we we just went for it yeah well that's that's all it takes um sometimes being remembered for being at the right place at the right time like we talked about with that united guttural movement and all that sort of thing yeah um now uh, it's like you said ton, you know so ton is kind of like back in action um and then 2015 you know there wasn't a total like uh, lapse of releases between um, Bow Down to Extinction, 2020's Ashes, where they stood. You did put out um, two singles uh, that I thought were interesting. And, uh, the one was in 2018, if I pronounce it right, Manzanar. Yeah. That, and now that's actually, if I got if, if I got that right, that's actually a reference to the um, the internment camps where Japanese Americans were confined during World War II. Is that correct? That's correct. So now I mentioned before how Ton has tended over the years to have this more social political commentary um, uh, angle on on the lyrics. Is that is that your doing or is that more Jeff? I'm not. I I, I didn't get who actually writes all the lyrics and comes up with that. That's Jeff. Um, he writes all the lyrics, and yeah, that was completely his idea. And the um, the single we put out the artwork on the front of it is basically a picture from Manzanar mm -hmm. and just, you know, with some, some fancy Photoshop stuff done to it. But, uh, yeah, that, that's Jeff. He, Jeff's a smart guy and he is good at writing lyrics and we were just, you know, I, I love plenty of bands that sing about blood and guts, but that just wasn't our thing. 
and we didn't we just didn't want to do that so we just all, all, even though jeff wrote the lyrics we all felt like it, we just really wanted to write about more about things that are real and that are happening in society and yeah and that's it just just keep it a little more real and um real world stuff fair enough and that's what i was getting at in the beginning when i compared um yourselves and drug hated more towards like maybe grindcore bands like a napalm death or something uh, for lack of a better uh, comparison um just with that social political commentary angle that you apply to the even though it's death metal musically um and i always found that very interesting and it gives the band a different edge more of an intellectual edge in a way um so i've, I've always appreciated that and the uh, the other one was Defect, which had um, maybe a little bit more of a uh, subtle um, political commentary, not as specific. But I just I, I thought those were very interesting songs, um, not not necessarily as reactionary, as philosophical, or as con- um, contemplative. Uh, and I, I just thought it gave the band kind of an interesting angle over the years. Um, so and both songs also, by the way, you know, we talk like I say, I say Napalm Death is perhaps like one of the worst comparisons I could, I could bring up because the songs themselves musically were very um, in line with what you guys were doing. Very technical, very musically progressive. Can you speak a little bit to as the years go on? I know I don't want to beat a dead horse asking you about the influences over and over again. But as we get into the late teens, 2015, 16, 17, what are some things going on in music that are you guys are taking in? that that uh, uh, maybe are inspiring ton and inspiring the way you write that weren't there in the beginning? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess... I don't know if there was anything that wasn't there in the beginning other than just some of the, maybe some of the bands we were listening to had, you know, had progressed. Uh, some of the death metal had gotten more technical, but it wasn't like... The three of us were just all about technical bands, because I mean, like I said, I I love just straight up slam music too. You know, New York, old school New York style. Kevin, he one of his favorite bands is Van Halen. So you know, we we would listen to a variety of of things. So I guess we were still we were being influenced by some of the same things we'd always been influenced by, but at the same time death metal some of the death metal bands had progressed musically into doing some pretty incredible things so maybe subconsciously that was influencing us i don't i don't know but i I think it's more that we always just wanted to progress ourselves and you know it's pretty easy to just write some simple riffs and throw them together into a slam and death metal song Whereas we wanted to put a little more into our riffs, and even if we're not like purposely trying to make them technical, they sometimes they come out that way because we like to just keep things moving because we want to keep ourselves interested and write riffs that have some interesting things going on, even if some of it might go over some people's heads. Okay, yeah, fair enough. And, you know, we can't always dissect the process um, to to the point to explain it to to a certain point, because after a certain point, it's just organic anyway, Um, and it's it's what comes out. Now, on that note, um, you know, we're kind of working up here to Ashes Where They Stood, 
the the last ton full length because as I understand it, ton is inactive um, at this point. Could you just tell us with an album title like that, the the album title being Ashes Where They Stood, was there foreknowledge that ton was gonna not no longer be an active band once that album was recorded? Um, and and could you just give us a little insight with all due respect to the band members' privacy? Um, what maybe some of the circumstances were around the band's uh, ceasing activity? Um, well, Ashes Where They Stood, we worked on that music for quite a few years. Um, it had was actually supposed to be put out probably a couple years before it happened, but it just, you know, life life kind of gets in the way, and the process just took a lot longer than, than we thought. And um, I believe the original idea of the Ashes Where They Stood came from an idea that Jeff had um, when the bombs were dropped in Japan way back. And there was, I guess, I think there were some pictures somewhere where it looked like people's, like, shadows or, like, ashes had been burned into the ground or, like, Mm -hmm. there was imprints of people on the ground. I think that's where that that initially came from. And so, so yeah, we, uh, we had... The deal with Ungodly Ruins Productions. Luckily, luckily he, um, you know, he he waited for us to get that thing done because it took a lot longer than than what we thought it would. But no, we we did not know that the band was going to split up. We had it recorded. You know, we we're going to move forward with doing shows and stuff like that. And um, it was let's see, January? No, yeah. January. I don't know. It's been like a year and a half that we split up, but it, it just, I guess without saying too much, it just, it got to a point where, um, Jeff and I felt like it was time to move on from that. And at that point in time, we did not know that we were going to be reforming fully consumed, but we knew that we wanted to stick together. And so we started writing some songs together and Jeff, Jeff actually started playing drums for a little while and we were just hashing out some songs and some ideas and stuff. And then as time went on, we found out that Matt, the drummer from Fully Consumed, was moving back to Ohio. And that's how we ended up reforming Fully Consumed. Okay. And as I see on your YouTube channel, you guys are gearing up for recording a new EP, right? Yeah. And um, we have drums and guitar recorded for one song and we're going to hopefully get the vocals and bass done here shortly we're going to release a song just to get something out there because the band has been act- been inactive for several years and then i, I believe we're going to do an ep that's the plan as of right now but we have we have three songs brand new songs that we can actually play together a fourth one in the works and so we'll probably do five or six for an ep is the plan okay and with fully consumed um you know, like listening back, I'm a little bit more familiar with uh, Incendium, the album that you appear on, than with some of the other work. But it's not, um, for fans of Ton, it's not a reach. You know, I'm not saying it sounds right. like Ton, but you can definitely um, uh, hear some of the some of the similar uh, technical uh, influence death grind um, going on. And especially because it's, uh, it's you and Jeff... Um, writing could you maybe speak to like is there anything that you that you look to express a little bit differently in fully consumed than ton is there anything that you look at fully consumed and say no this band is about this you know um musically or lyrically or guitar wise or something well actually all the recorded stuff from fully consumed was all written by jeff 
Okay. And um, it was all written before I joined the band. When I joined the band, I just I joined as a second guitar player, and I was just playing the stuff that was already written. So I did record um, four or five songs on Incendium that I knew at the time. I didn't I didn't play on all the songs because I just didn't know them at the time. Some of those songs I never learned. But um, so and Jeff was Jeff and I wrote the ton stuff about. 50 50 so it would make sense that fully consumed has lots of similarities to ton and moving forward i am helping with the writing of the new stuff and you know we're not we're not really saying hey we don't want to do this or do that to sound like ton or we do want to do this to sound it that it's not even a part of the conversation we're just doing the same thing we've always done we're trying to write some cool riffs and write some cool songs and i guess the biggest difference in fully consumed would just be that a different drummer and a different bass player and a different vocalist but riffing wise i mean there's definitely gonna be similarities because it's the same two guys that were writing all the ton stuff so so yeah there's definitely gonna be that of course and um people can also look for you um doing a, a little bit more of a detached thing at least from the ton legacy in mutual hostility um, yeah. Where uh, it's it's you and members of a band, um, or at least guys who are associated with a band, Stress Lord, I believe. Yep, um, it's Eric, Eric the drummer, and um, Adam the vocalist were in a band called Stress Lord out of Cleveland. Yeah, and you guys put out the Sacred Propaganda EP. I believe it was released through uh, was Cult of um, Parthenope, if I got that right, out of, out of the UK. Yep. Um, yep, that's correct. Uh, so tell us a little bit about the background of that band. How new is that band, and how far do you go back with those guys? Well, I had met Eric, the drummer, a couple of times, and um, we had played a show. Ton had played a show with a band that he was in called In Falling, and at the show, he said, hey, man, I'd love to do something with you at some point. Would you want to do something? And I was like, yeah. you know, I mean, I didn't know him very well, but he seemed like a nice guy. But at the same time, you know, I've had I, so many people over the years say they want to do stuff, and but when it comes down to actually doing the work to do something, it, it just doesn't happen. So I just honestly didn't think that much of it at the time. And then some time goes by, and he messages me. He's like, hey, man, I think I have time in my schedule now where, you know, if you want to do something, we can do this. And I was like, well, yeah, let's do it, man. He's like, all right. He's like, well, I want to um, – I want to come up with some drum parts and arrange them for you and then have you write your guitar riffs to my arrangement. Hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's kind of a different way of doing things. But I was open to it because um, one thing I'd done in the past is the drummer, Kevin Talley, he used to do uh, guitar contests where he would do that same thing. He would record a, a song's worth of drums, and then you could download his drums and write a song to it, and then he would pick a winner. And so I did that once, and um, I didn't win, but I thought I came up with a pretty cool song, and it was a lot of fun to do. And having that that blueprint laid out was it was the ideas just kept coming. You know, it's like I mean I I, I always have ideas for riffs and stuff, but when you have that that blueprint already laid out, it's just like it's almost made it even easier. And so um, I was like, yeah, man, I'm 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 up for that. And so that's how we did that whole EP. He would come up with these drum parts, arrange them into a song, record them, send them to me. I would write all the guitar parts to his drum parts, and um, we never even jammed together for that. 
we just it was he'd send them to me i'd record my like my di guitar tracks at home and then we had a guy that mixed everything i recorded the bass on that also and um i remember he told me he knew this singer adam and i'd never met the guy and i didn't know what he sounded like and so when i found you know he was going in to record the vocals i was like oh man i hope this is good because <laughs> i'm feeling i'm feeling so good about this project that it, if it sucks it's going to be such a bummer and when i heard it i was like holy shit man this dude is a monster and uh so I, yeah I was, I was really happy about it and um, it was a lot of fun to do and at the end of it we were we all agreed we're like we definitely want to do more of this and we were going to kind of take the same approach but the guy that eric was working with to record his drums told him you know I, i'm done i'm not doing this anymore and so you're, you're just gonna have to find somebody else and so some some time passed and eric he called me up he's like you know what dude he's like i'm just not feeling inspired here by myself he's like what, what do you think about us like getting together in person we had never jammed together at all you know even though we had a five song ep out and i was like yeah man i mean he lives like about an hour and 20 minutes from me i said you know as you know as long as you don't mind that drive because you know he didn't have a place where we could practice but i do and he's like no man no big deal man i'm gonna bring my drums over and you know let's do this and i'm like well cool let's do it and so he's been coming to my place and um we've been writing some new material and yeah we're uh, we're probably gonna do a full length this time okay man cool um that's something people could look out for and yeah. and speaking more towards um you know you mentioned a little bit about recording uh, about having your own space and that sort of thing. I feel like that is a good way to transition to your YouTube channel, um, uh, where you, you you have uh, you know you have playthroughs, uh, solos, live footage from some of the bands that we've talked about already. Um, I also took a few notes here just to give people like a sample. You do a lot of like kind of like gear breakdowns and examples of things. Uh, you, yeah. sh- you showed off your 1989 uh, Carvin Ultra V guitar that, yeah. you, that you sanded down and modified. Um, yep. People might be interested in that and different uh, pedals and pickups. Um, could you explain to me now, one thing I noticed was solar guitars. Uh, is, yep. that, is that a brand of guitar? Is that a certain uh, style of guitar? What's a solar guitar? It's a guitar brand. It, mm-hmm. The owner is Ola England. He, he's, uh, he does some solo stuff. He had a band called Feared. He also plays in The Haunted now. He's a huge YouTube guitar player. Um, I mean, just, I don't even know how many subscribers on YouTube at this point. He's a very well-known guy and he started his, oh, he also played in six feet under for a while, Hmm. but he started his own guitar brand several years ago and it's, you know, pretty much geared towards metal and, you know, they started adding a lot of artists and it's just kind of an up up and coming brand, a pretty popular brand at this point. And... You know, I saw that they were taking on artists, and I thought, you know, it'd be cool to somehow get affiliated with some companies and stuff. And so I hit them up, and, you know, they said they were interested in making me an artist. So I was like, well, let's do it. You know, I, I got one of their guitars, and and I love it. I mean, I modified it a little bit, put some different pickups in it. There's a video on that, too, on my YouTube channel, but um, it's a really nice guitar very solid guitar i like it a lot it's it's a good brand and uh yeah so it's 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 kind of a cool thing where you know it's not like they're just sending me a bunch of free shit i'm it's not like i'm in you know mr popular here where 
you know, companies are going to do that for me, but, but I do get discounts on their products and, you know, the, um, I'm on their, their roster and it's, it's a good, it's a good way for me to, um, kind of advertise my guitar playing, show off my guitar playing, having a brand like that behind me. Um, I also have an endorsement with SIT strings, which is a string company out of Akron, Ohio, which is literally like 20 minutes up the road from my house, which that it was kind of a, that was kind of in the back of my mind for a while getting affiliated with them. I just didn't really know how to do it or if I would even qualify for it. And, um, the guy that used to deal with the artists, he doesn't work for him anymore, but he approached me at a show and was like, Hey, you know, would you be interested in being an SIT strings artist? And I was like, well, fuck yeah, man. I already played the strings. I love them. Mm. And it's, a, it's an Ohio Akron, Ohio based company. So, you know, and again, that's not a company that just sends me a bunch of free stuff, but they give me really big discounts on their stuff and and it, you know and i appreciate it because you know you go through a lot of strings and like i went up a couple months ago i got a bunch of strings and straps and you know it didn't cost me a lot of money they gave me a huge discount on it and in return i try and tag them hashtag them put them out there too you know that i'm that's what i'm using and that's a company that stands behind me and so i do the same for them Fair enough. And and the idea of being um, sponsored and working with these uh, guitar manufacturers and strings and pedals and all these different uh, types of equipment, it's something that a lot of bands, a lot of underground artists uh, speak about. Um, I've, you know, I've heard different, you know, people I'm in bands with and bands I'm friends with talk about all the time. Uh, a lot of people don't seem to have any idea how to get the ball rolling on that. Do you? I don't know. I'm not asking you to divulge any secrets, but do you have any advice for artists who aspire maybe to work with and be sponsored by uh, not just those companies you, 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 that you work with, but any company? Yeah, I would say you got to put yourself out there and show that you have some value to that company. Um, you know, you can be the best guitar player in the world, but if you're sitting in your bedroom and nobody knows about you, then why is a company going to want to endorse you? You know, it's a two-way street. And um, like for solar guitars, you know, they have, I mean, they're kind of, um, they have requirements, but they're kind of loose on it. You don't necessarily have to meet all these requirements to be one of their artists. But, you know, you have to have some sort of presence on social media and or be putting yourself out there in some sort of way. So, you know, if you're looking for an endorsement with a company, you you need to be doing some work you, you need to be on social media you need to be doing youtube or you know maybe you're if you're in a touring band that would definitely help so you you have to be doing something you can't just be doing nothing and expect these companies hmm. to just think you're so good that they need you because they don't need you <laughs> that's that sounds like a lot of what i say about um bands that i know that are great bands uh, but feel kind of entitled to record label attention and support. Um, Same thing. Compared to bands maybe that play out more than them or something like that, you know? Yep, exact same thing. I mean, with a band, you know, if you're not putting yourself out there and you're not promoting your band, then, you know, why is somebody going to want to put money or effort into your band when you don't even do it? Yeah, there's a lot more to it than just writing a uh, writing a sick riff. <laughs> you That's... Know what I mean? That's for sure. Sick uh, riffs are great. Don't get me wrong. Of course. No, yeah, that, that's part of it. But you got to do more around it than that, man. Uh, yep. All right. So as you said, um, uh, ton, unfortunately, we, uh, we we will look back at the legacy, but um, the, the band is no longer active. But fully consumed, uh, life's funny like that, comes right back, and you guys are writing new yeah. material. Mutual hostility. We can look forward to some new material. People can check that out. 
Uh, yep. And as we just talked about, you have your YouTube channel with um, a variety of different things going on there on YouTube. And as I said, you made it very easy. If people are interested in just about anything we discussed in this interview, it's pretty much it's probably available on that YouTube channel in terms of your bands and your equipment that you use and, and even some playthroughs and live footage and things like that. Um, is, is there anything I neglected to promote or to bring up um, that you're involved in and that you want people to know about? Um, well, one thing I would say is I'm working on probably like a five-song EP that I'm going to put out just of my own material. Um, I released a song, oh, it's been a few months ago, I think, where I wrote all the riffs, played the guitar, played the bass, did the vocals, and I'm using um, Superior Drummer, so I'm programming the drums, but it, basically doing everything myself. Um, I mix it myself. You know, I'm not some studio guy that is great at doing that but it's something i'm doing just for fun so i'm hoping um at some point this winter to release a five song ep just of my own material just under my own name um i have i had some artwork done by tony cole i've been kind of sitting on and i'm working on the material and some of the material um is going to be i don't know if you noticed on my youtube channel i have a a series called two minutes of metal mm-hmm. where i would basically put together three four riffs and then some of them i would do a short lead part and it would be about two minutes and it was just just for fun just to put some put something out there and um i'm going to use some of those riffs and i also have some other complete a couple of other complete songs that i'm going to use that that aren't a part of that series but so yeah i'm working on that so you know just writing for fully consumed writing for mutual hostility and then working on this ep thing that i'm going to do on my own okay man always keeping busy uh, that's, yeah, that's great, man. Uh, um, and so with that in mind now, um, uh, as we wind down, I'm going to get to the typical Heavy Hole podcast question. Could you recommend for us and the listeners one older release and one newer release by any artist that you like, uh, metal or otherwise? Yeah, I was listening to something the other day that I had not heard in quite a while. And I think it was Kevin Kraft, a ton drummer that turned me on to this. It's a band called Desultor. Desultor or Desultor, and they had an album called Masters of Hate. Mm. And man, it's just some great riffs. It's it actually singing vocals, which I don't normally gravitate towards, but somehow this the vocals just work in this. And I'm not even sure what year it came out, but um, it's it's a little bit older, I believe. And um, it's just it's just a cool album. It just has a good flow, a lot of great riffs, some melodic solos, just just a really good listen. And that was and, De- um, Desultor. I'm thinking Desultory, the Swedish band, but Desultor with no yeah. Y at the end. And what was the yeah. name of the album? Uh, Masters of Hate. And I haven't. It's okay. not on Spotify, but it is on YouTube. Okay. And uh, and it's pretty cool. I like it. And um, as far as something newer, I would say the band Werewolves. I believe they're out of Australia, and I think it's the drummer from Psychroptic. And that shit's just oh man, it's awesome. Lots of blast beats, just really good stuff. And it's werewolves or where? What is it? Werewolves. Werewolves. All right, interesting. Werewolves. Yeah. All right. And I, and one thing I knew you were going to ask me this question, and so just like a side note, I would say, I saw on Facebook today that tomorrow is the anniversary of the release of Dark Angels' Darkness Descends. I think it was released in '86, and I thought I'd just throw that in there just because I saw that today, and that was an album that had a pretty big impact on me at that point in time. So. 
Fair enough, man. Yeah, great band. Great, um, yeah. Now with social media, we're getting all these anniversary. Like we always know yeah. what the anniversary is every time, right. man. It's and, and there's always one now at this point. Yeah. Uh, that's all right. That's cool, man. Great. And um, so uh, Dan Gates, guitarist of Mutual Hostility, uh, fully consumed and formerly of Ton. Uh, we thank you very much for your time. Is there anything I, I, again, like I failed to bring up, or that you wanted to discuss? No, I would just say thanks a lot for uh, the interview and being interested in talking to me. And everybody can just, you know, you can find me on all of the social media platforms and YouTube and just, you know, I'm doing various things. So check it out. Excellent. Thank you very much for your time, Dan. You have a great night, man. Yep, you too. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you to tonight's very special guest, Dan Gates uh, from Ohio, from Legacy Brutal Death Metal Band Ton, also Fully Consumed and Mutual Hostility, his bands that he talked about. We're going to keep our eye out for new material. Uh, big shout to him for joining us on the Heavy Hole Podcast. Man, I'm still thinking about that mac and cheese. Yeah. Yep. You want I, you want I, some? I, yeah, I'm going to definitely over. bring some. I'll swing by. Yeah. yeah. I got the Jeep fixed. I can... It drives, oh, so yeah? I can drive to you. I love it. Yeah, even if there's like a foot of snow on the ground... Tom, in this Norman Rockwell painting, let's resume. Yeah, let's go. All right. <laughs> I'm spinning the Segway in the background of it, and there's Tom in his Jeep, and like he's like driving uphill on Condre Hall, tearing through uh, uh, the snow just to like like hand deliver more bonus mac and cheese to Justin yeah. and his fiance. My top is off. I have binoculars out. I am looking at a yeah. uh, flying V format of uh, of Canadian geese. Wow. Uh, in the photo. Fly, when you said flying V, I immediately thought of blood incantation. I thought this was a taking a weird pyramid building extraterrestrial turn. Uh, British Columbia rich. Uh, okay. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I'm, th- I, with, I'm thinking of BC Bud right now. I'm bugging out. But listen, um, pushing forward, this is this. You guys got me out here. Uh, there's a there's a there's a, a voicemail. Yeah, yeah. Let's let's go to that. Let's see what this guy's all about, man. I left a voicemail one time. <laughs> hey, Harry Holos, here's Jan from Germany. I have a recommendation for you uh, from a German death metal band called Atrocity. Um, they released uh, an, a great album, 1992, on Roadrunner Records, called Longing for Death. It's a little bit overseen, but still great. Check it out. All the best from Stuttgart, Germany. Um, I love your show, and all the best to you. Bye. International. We've made it, boys. Thank you, Jan, for calling in. Yeah, big shout to Jan from Germany, man. We appreciate the call. And I am, I'm not as familiar as I should be. Uh, with classic um, death metal band Atrocity. However, I, I'm more familiar with their 1990 uh, debut full-length Hallucinations. Um, I'm not as familiar with some of their later material. I'm looking at, what, what was the one that he said? Was Did he say? We got Longing for Death. 
Longing for death by atrocity. I'm looking this up here. The old Metallum's got four reviews averaging 95% thumbs up. Must be a keeper. Out of 100? That's out great. Out of 100, yeah. Now, where do, you see, where do you see longing for death? Because I don't see that here in the discography. Are you spelling lounging, lounging for death? I got it right here. Atrocity from Germany. What year? Oh, Todessen to Schutt? Yeah, I guess that's... Oh, so we cleared up the little Easter egg here, right? Because that's... Is that like the German meaning? I guess so. Okay. I just, I just clicked Longing for Death on the old Google. Yeah. All right. Uh, so Longing for Death must be, I guess, I would imagine the English translation of Tudessenschut. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping that I pronounced that correctly. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we got this right. Yeah, Atrocity from Germany. I spoke at some point, maybe it was on our Instagram when I was making cute little videos there, but I got um, uh, very into Hallucinations. Um, now, wait, I thought their first album was Hallucinating Anxiety. This is this is really bugging me here. Hold for research. No, Hallucinating Anxiety is cadaver. <laughs> I'm bugging, guys. This, I'm st I'm, yeah, I'm still... Uh, the Boston market still got me sprung. Okay, yeah. Uh, Atrocity, classic band from Germany with their album Hallucinations 1990. That was the first album I got into. To Death and Shoot, I, I from 1992. I will give a chance to the rest of their um, catalog. And they have a long-running catalog. They even are still around. There's actually an EP listed as coming out in 2022. So they're like, they got something on deck for next year. Something cooking. Yeah. Then, I, now and forever. Yeah. Mm, that's, what, that's what they're doing. I'll, 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 look in, I'll, I'll look into it. Um, Kiss Army. This band was actually credited uh, Afterbirth. Um, the three original members of Afterbirth, uh, with, with whom I'm, I'm in the band, they all credit the first album, Hallucinations by Atrocity, as a big influence when they were first starting the band. So that's interesting, man. Definitely got to go further into their discography. A lot of a lot of albums there. Very sick. So thank you to Jan for that uh, um, contribution to the podcast. We appreciate it, man. Hell yeah! A lot of these old school bands, you know, like we like we listen to maybe like one or two albums, and you know, then they have like five or six other albums from the '90s. Maybe they changed a little bit, varied a little bit, but you know, sometimes yeah. There's a lot of bands that I've listened to one of their albums and know it well, and then kind of fall off. Yeah, it, it happens, man. But it's 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 a good reminder. There's always something to go back to. Um, and speaking of which. I had um, one other, I had a recommendation, because the listeners have spoken, they missed the recommendations, they missed Justin, yeah. by the way, they miss you, we missed you. Miss you guys too. Um, uh, we, so I wanted to bring back one recommendation. I've talked about on the podcast once before, I've talked about um, uh, the, uh, the, the members uh, of, the, of, the, of the band and some adjacent bands. It's no, no secret. I made a little Instagram video about it. Uh, Diabolic, Infinity Through Purification. Olympic Recordings put this out in 2003. Um, it's a very special album for a few different reasons. Uh, Eric Hersman, um, the main uh, uh, diabolical evil scientist uh, guitarist behind the band Geigen for all these years um, who, who runs that band, uh, 
was in Diabolic uh, for this one album. Uh, most of this lineup, actually, on this album, this is like the only album to feature this lineup. And the and by the time the band put out their next album after Infinity Through Purification, it was a completely different lineup with not one member remaining. This is the only album where all these guys came together. Diabolic itself, if you want to look into it, it's a, it's, it's a, um, a band with a, a very credible discography. You can look back. They have a more, a more recent album from last year, I believe. Again, with a completely different lineup from this album and from other albums, it's just kind of this like revolving door project from Florida and from or for, from the South. Even I'm sure there's members that aren't from Florida even that have been in and out of it. Um, but this album in particular, uh, Infinity Through Purification, it shows Diabolic itself is a band that you could compare in a lot of ways, in my personal opinion, to uh, Monstrosity. Um, Malevolent Creation, Morbid Angel, your classic Floridian death metal bands. Uh, and this band is no slouch. They never have been, regardless of the lineup changes. But Infinity Through Purification captured a particular magic because, um, I don't know if you, if you would call him the founding member, but Brian Malone uh, was on the demo and every album up to and including this album, and I guess left the band or parted ways after this album. Eric Hurstman, who I said of Geigen, was only in the band for this one album, and the other two guys I don't believe were in, in the band for long stretches of time either. So it's kind of like this revolving door lineup, like um, it's like the X Men or something. Remember, like you used to read comic books, and like there would be all of a sudden, or like all of a sudden, like the Incredible Hulk is in the Fantastic Four, or like the Fantastic Four has like Spider Man and the Hulk for for three issues. It's, it's they just, they mix it up. Yeah, yeah. Like that's kind of like this band. It's like you know they just it's like it's, it's like well there's I got this album and this album, and there's not one guy that's the same on them, but they're both hot albums. It's But this album in particular, I've talked about it a little bit in the past, uh, you can definitely hear Eric Hurstman's influence in the in the guitar work. There's amazing guitar work and composition on this album. It's got a really cool album cover, too. Um, just, you know, as, as, as a side, I, I would love to have this reissued on vinyl, but I found it on CD very affordably on um, eBay, used, uh, brand new. And it's um it's just a great album, man. If you're into monster, like I said, monstrosity, malevolent, o- older morbid angel, any of your kind of um, very sharp uh, uh, guitar um, composition minded, uh, Floridian death metal bands, th- it's just a beautiful album, man. So I just wanted to bring that up for the listeners. And it's it's kind of cool if you're into Geigen or if you're into any of those Florida bands as um an interesting Easter egg. Not many people know about this, and and that Olympic recordings. From the late '90s and early 2000s era, that's kind of a stamp of approval too. They were they were working with Gore Guts, Internal Bleeding, a lot of bands. So, I just love that it's like you can pick up different diabolic albums and it's completely different members. It's you know something about that that's kind of funny to me. It's the visions there, I guess. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like through the years, like somebody just kept it going. Like this guy quit the band, this guy left, and then you're with these guys, and then you leave, and they keep it going. It's I I, I don't know, man. It's not every band should do that, but I'm glad that there there's a band out there that you could look at like that. It's why Taco Bell exists. 
the people working at the original Taco Bell, they don't still work there. That's yeah, true. They they're all millionaires because they were there long enough. And well, it arguably keeps getting more delicious. Well, I can say yeah, the same for my point. local Boston market. All right, holler. <laughs> if you want to share your thoughts on Taco Bell, Boston market, mm-hmm. home-cooked mm-hmm. food, do you, do you have a farm? Do you grow your own food? Do you go yep. to the supermarket? Do you know how to cook? Yes, sir. Do you just use throwing a bunch of stuff in a pressure cooker for hours as a mask for your lack of cooking ability? That's right. That is cooking. Controversial. Controversial. Meatloaf is loaf, too. Yeah. Uh, What's our voicemail number for your input on these controversial topics? Once you dial the old 631-837-3274. Yeah. I I just quiz Tom Mm -hmm. just to make sure he still knows it. We don't have a jingle yet. Yeah. We don't. Yeah, Tom's. Tom, I'm getting Tom gets sick paid of saying this. Yeah. Tom gets paid. I really for am. Yeah. It's it's there. It's it's on the episode detail yeah. for any streaming platform or podcast platform you have. Yeah. What is the number? Six three one eight three seven three two seven. I relate so hard to this. We don't have a jingle. We could definitely use one, but Tom gets paid for making jingles. I know, and nobody's going to pay him. But he also hates saying the number, so. When does the level of hate get to the level of just acceptance that you're not going to get paid to do something? Yeah. When do, like that and that tipping point, that sweet sweet tipping point is is just just a beautiful thing. That's the kernel. That's the kernel. When does he yeah. break? We'll find it. That is the crispy kernel. What's the tipping point? <laughs> Listen, if you want to drop a couple of crispy kernels and see if they pop into a delightful uh, basket of popcorn um, with movie theater butter flavor, uh, uh uh, go to what is it? Heavy Patreon dot com slash Heavy Hole Podcast. Uh, yes, that's yep. the one. I, I know. Uh, see, I know things. Get it. Yeah. What's the other one? Get it. No, I'm that's, saying uh, I'm encouraging. Get yeah. it. Uh, get on there. Log Just, on. I'm, I'm assuming we've. Uh, the reason you really haven't been here is because you've been sending out so many shirts. Uh, boy, <laughs> boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> the holidays are coming. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. it took me so long. I parachuted in on blank T-shirts. <laughs> You know what would make a great gift? Yes. For the Heavy Hole podcast listener in your family who occasionally has to go into a 7-Eleven mm. that has a, sh- a sign outside that says, no shoes, no shirt, no service. No service. Mm. A Heavy Hole podcast t-shirt. That's right. Stuff a beautiful Heavy Hole podcast t-shirt into the sock hanging from your stairs to really show your little brother who knows more than him. It's you. <laughs> yeah. You're the one who directs an, uh, the uh, the cultural influence in your house. You are the one miles ahead. The tastemaker. Of all of your cousins. Uh, and even that young uncle that you have. Not to be confused with Uncle Buck. No, no, uh, never, p- never. Perhaps a brand new uncle by marriage. Uh, maybe a, you know, like a, a stepdad younger than you. Like a Todd. And you want to show him. I don't, like hey. this, I don't like where this is going. Hey, I, what do we listen, do? family. I know what a cassette is. I- I know what vinyl really is. That's not what it would be like if I dated someone's aunt. Look at the back of my shirt. Let's just slow down here. I don't like where this is going. This is weird. Read the back of my shirt. Yeah. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Grab the new puffer jacket that you uh, that Santa brought you. We don't have puffer jackets. We have patches. And then stand in front of your family. And unwrap yourself like the beautiful present you are Don't. to reveal. That's weird. Don't do that. Just buy a patch from our website. I think just you should the heavy it. t-shirt underneath. <laughs> just and maybe maybe you're sweating a lot because you're excited, like I, I am right now. Again, why you and gotta come at me like this? It's just you it's just kind of making that shirt translucent. 
and the people watching you can equally see a beautiful just just billboard to the yeah. world that you know what you're talking about and maybe some of your body too the Happy. high quality ink of the heavy hole podcast logo on the t-shirt is chafing your nipples as you sweat justin these colors don't run i feel personally attacked by all of your colorful metal metaphors here but listen <laughs> i'm not saying i have to wear a pair of skinny jeans alone in my room to listen to the band Turnstile, to feel like I identify with youth culture. But if I did and I ripped them as a man of my girth, I would need a heavy hole patch to cover up that rip. Where would I go for that? Well, you go to you just rewind the tape where I told you to get the shirt. You get the patch. Uh, you're about to get kicked <laughs> off for another month or two if you don't simmer down over there, buddy. I'm so cheesed off right now. <laughs> the holidays are in Full blow chaos here on every old podcast, man. All right. Wow. Listen, Dan, we apologize to Dan Gates for getting him in the middle of all this here on the Every Old Podcast. Uh, look, look, no, a podcast, podcast. We're, we're nutcases. Dan Gates, classic guitarist of Ohio bands, ton fully consumed and mutual hostility. We encourage you to check out all of his music um, when you get done uh, with your therapy, um, recovering from. From Traumatic Family Holidays with Justin. Justin, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for joining us, too. To you, too, our special guest tonight. No problem, man. appreciate it, man. And thanks to Jan. Uh, I'm not going to ask Tom to to drop the number again. You can rewind the tape. (laughs) You want to get that number? Like call in like Jan did and recommend something. We do have to familiarize ourselves with the catalogs of some of these classic bands like Mm -hmm. Atrocity. Who uh, I talked to, I talked a few weeks ago on the Brendan Dean interview about Sadist from Italy, another band where a lot of people might know the one first album, and then after that you you drift off. You know yeah. what I mean? But it happens, man. All right. But listen, we're gonna let we're gonna let everybody drift off into the water and watch for those those bucktails that come pre-chewed. All right. How many how many how many did you get over there at the Tri County Flea Market? I'm so bad right now. Yeah. I more than one for sure. All right. Oh, 